Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Hello, Chi Alpha, and everybody who's here who, you know what, welcome. Uh, so my name is Sarah. I am on pastoral staff with Chi Alpha. Uh, yeah, yeah, we've been doing this for about 12 years now, uh, and it is my joy to, to be here and, and keeping on keeping on. Uh, so a little bit about me. Uh, we don't have to do all the backstory stuff. Let's do something recent, something really tragic happened in my life this week. Um, can I share it? We good? Okay. Uh, I got a message that my Google Drive storage was running out. <laughs> and, a, and a really, really urgent message that was like, you're going to stop receiving and sending emails. And I was like, actually, I need that. <laughs> I need that. And so I had to go on this grand journey of trying to clear up storage space on my Google account. And I'm like emptying the trash in my email. I'm like emptying all the promotions and the spam. I'm like unsubscribing from everything ever. And then, uh, maybe you guys will relate to this. You know how your phone like pops up memories? So my phone popped up a memory from four years ago. And it's a picture of Blair. And she's holding, holding two bags of tortilla chips. Apparently, I thought this was worth taking a photo of and saving, and then I realized the reason I don't have storage is because I have about, like, 50,000 photos. Uh, And so then I had to go on this journey of deleting photos? Like, cut your heart out, man. I mean, yes, I've screenshotted every meme that has ever made me laugh, and I keep it in a file titled funny, so, like, on a hard day, I can just, like, ha. Um, And so that was fine. I deleted all the memes. It was hard. We're good. Um... I have Jesus. He heals. Don't worry. He heals more than that. Um, But then, like, I got to some of the vacations. I got to some of the friendships of people who have moved away. I got to pictures of family members who have passed. And I was like, how on earth am I supposed to do this? Because photos are something really beautiful that is a privilege we have in our modern era that, that I've been collecting all my life because they move me. They remind me of things. They help me connect to people. They, I, I really love photos, and there's a reason. I take photos of everything. And uh, that started young for me. Uh, my father was a collector of National Geographic magazine. Anybody else out there? He had like 300. Uh, and as a child, me and my sister would get them out and flip through them. And I remember the first time I saw a photo that changed my life. Um, it was this one. Some of you might recognize it. Uh, so this woman, um, she was 12 years old when this photo was taken. She was a, a refugee from uh, the Soviet-Afghan war. And uh, when I looked in her eyes, I was probably eight years old, um, I understood that there were people who lived a life that I did not live. And I, I looked in her eyes and I saw a fear that I knew I didn't have in my life. And I felt an empathy for people I had never met before. And that was the first time that it happened for me. I just had my small little world with my family in rural West Loudoun. And uh, all of a sudden, the world opened up. And uh, this kept happening for me, this, this like power of photos that, that if it's not falling in love with a photo, it's at least falling in empathy, where you just find that your heart is like coming alive or, or like dying because of something. Uh, I remember it happened for me in school a lot through history books. This one really, really got me. Uh, when they took this photo, they didn't even know her name, but she represented it, represented the difficulty of the Great Depression to so many people. The woman who took this photo, uh, Dorothy Lange, Um, So she was actually, she worked for Farm Security Administration. Her job and tons of other people was to take photos so that when people saw them, their heart would would ache for these people and they would be able to support migrants and support farmers and support those displaced by the Dust Bowl. She literally took photos so that people's hearts would be moved and it worked. It was beautiful. Um, There's another one that got me out of history books. This is Ruby Bridges. Uh, when she was attending school for the first time, uh, integrating an all-white elementary school in New Orleans, and she had to be escorted by federal marshals because of the hatred in her city. And I remember looking at that photo and 
thinking how could a community not radically change when they look at this. Photos are powerful. It's why photojournalism is so important, because it doesn't just strike people, it changes them. Uh, one that really got me recently was from the, the earthquakes in Turkey. It's the man who's sitting in the rubble holding the hand of his daughter who died. I didn't want to show it because it hurts too much. Um, a good photo helps you to see someone in a different way, to see a need, to see a situation, and to be radically changed even though you're not there, Right? You guys tracking with me? All that to say, uh, it's really hard to delete photos in my Google storage. I'm probably going to buy more. But um, seeing something changes you sometimes more than hearing it, more than reading it. When you look at a face, you are radically changed. That is the story I want to bring to us today as we continue our series in Genesis, not just the beginning. This is a story that is often overlooked. It might not get preached a lot, but man, if there was a photo of it when you came across it, it would be striking as that woman's green eyes. And it would teach you something. It would call you to something. And I hope that tonight as we unpack this story and we create a picture from it, uh, that we'll walk out changed. We'll walk out moved by what we see. Uh, So we are going to be creating a picture of a life where God sees us, the power of God seeing us and us seeing others. It's in Genesis 16, Uh, I'm going to approach it a little bit differently tonight. I don't have a three-point sermon for you. I love three-point sermons. They, like, change my life. I can name so many sermons where those points radically changed me. But today, I want it to be a little more visual. I want you to engage not necessarily with the words of the text, but with the story. I want you to imagine it. I want you to place yourself in it. Uh, so I don't, have this, I don't have the slides up. You're welcome to follow along in your Bible, but you're also welcome to close your eyes and just see the story. Sound good? Let me pray really quick. God, would you move through your scripture, your holy word? Would you transform us by your word, by your truth? And Lord, by uh, your Holy Spirit tonight, help us to see something we haven't seen before and be transformed Uh, for your glory and for the good of both us and those in our lives. Amen. All right. So Quickly, a little bit of context. Last week, Pete preached phenomenally on God's covenant with Abraham. Uh, Abram, at the time, was already pretty old when he got the promise that he would have a son. There'd be a great nation that comes from this son. He was around 75 at the time. We're hitting about 10 years later. So there was this great man of faith. God gave this beautiful promise. As Gavin said, he's left a lot of things because of his faith for the Lord. He's left his homeland, his place of security, because he trusts God promises. But now, 10 years later, he's around 85, 86, and we're going to see what Abraham's life looks like now. All right, Genesis 16. You can read your Bible or you can close your eyes. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. We're going to pause there. Um, this is one of those like terrible and problematic parts of scripture. Like we love to read the beautiful things about these great men and women of faith and, and to, um, yeah, and, and those are important, right? We should like read these incredible stories of their faithfulness and, and their willingness to step out. But there's also a reason that the scripture has these troublesome stories. And uh, I think there's a, an error. I think we're missing something when we avoid stories like this where the people who we thought we were supposed to aspire to, the people in the Bible we thought we were supposed to be like, (sighs) fail. Um, I think part of this is because I think Christianity and Christian moralism are really, really different. Christian moralism looks for good examples in the Bible to model your life after so you're a better person. Christianity is about Christ. 
We're not called to look like Abraham. We're called to look like Jesus. And if you read the Bible looking for good examples of how to live, every single person in there is going to fail you. I think this is why some people walk away from the church is because they've been taught moralism and then they look at the scriptures and they're like, these people suck. I don't want to be one of these. (laughs) But if you look at the Bible to see why humanity so desperately needs a savior, it makes a lot more sense. Tracking with me? This is one of those stories where we realize that even the most faithful people need a savior. Moving on. Um, We're going to look at Hagar's context. Okay, we have this... This person, Hagar, she hasn't showed up in the scriptures so far. We'd have chapters on chapters about Abraham and Sarai. Abram and Sarai, their names would change to Abraham and Sarah um, at a future point. Right now, they're Abram and Sarai. Um, But Hagar, she's new. She's new on the scene. Um, So probably uh, around 10 years ago also, uh, they were in Egypt because of a famine. uh, And that's probably when Hagar became one of their servants or one of their slaves. Um, I want to create some context here because I think what we don't understand is that in many ways, Hagar hit the jackpot with his family. We feel really uncomfortable with this because we read the word slave and we rightfully have a, just like an internal like, mm, this is bad. Yes, it is. The Bible has a lot to say about slavery and God frees the slaves and we've got a lot to do there. But in context, there were no safety nets in the ancient world. Um, if you... If your house burned down or if your family died, you had nothing. There was no social services. There was no WIC. There was no welfare office. There was no disability. If you did not have a way to get food or you did not have people in your life, you would likely die. Um, Like This was not a time of rugged individualism. You just couldn't cut it. You were stuck in these little internal systems that would develop. And slavery uh, was kind of how the vast majority of the ancient world found themselves surviving in this context. Uh, And it was a bit of a toss-up if it looked like the cruel slavery that we probably think of when we reckon with American history, and then a slavery that might have looked a little bit more like you're uh, working at the same company for 50 years. I realize this is, this is making it small, but I'm trying to help you understand here that uh, Hagar, is set, she's coming from Egypt. Egypt in the Bible is set up as the antithesis of God's people. That is the place where you are oppressed. That is the place where you are mistreated. That is the place of evil. But God's people are supposed to be the place of life. It's said that even when there were slaves, the, that there was a law that they would go free every seven years. Like you couldn't keep someone in slavery. It was this place of abundance. It's a place of God's blessing. And so for Hagar coming from Egypt, Abram's household probably actually looks a lot more like a mini economic system where everybody is just working and surviving and getting what they need. And Abraham was probably one of those people's, or one of those kind of uh, wealthy people where uh, it didn't look like Egypt. We read in the scriptures that his servants were willing to go to war for him because they so believed in him. We read that they were allowed to take from the bounty of this war, that they could have their own wealth, that they could build wealth. They could have their own households. They could have their own income systems. Um, And so it really looked more like a self-sustaining household of a mini economic group. And Hagar now is a part of this thing, and she's actually being provided for. She has what she needs. She's grown 10 years in this place and probably a a lot of safety and in a, a place of God's blessing. But now, 10 years later, things change. All of a sudden, this godly man and this godly woman who have like lived their life in faith, they start to doubt and things start to change. And it says that, um, so, okay, so we have Hagar. She's young, right? Remember, Abraham at this point is like 85 years old. This is obviously an abuse of power. It's an abuse of position. Um, and then Sarai, uh, no, wait, okay, let's move back. Okay. In this ancient world, again, there's no social systems. The way that you were taken care of was by your children, right? If you do not have children, there are no nursing homes. In your old age, like you have nothing if you don't have children. And so when God had promised Abram and Sarai a son, he wasn't just promising them the hope of a child. Like it wasn't just about the longing for a son. It was about a longing for security. And they're getting old, 
It's a, it's a question not just if God will provide a son, but if God actually wants to provide security for them and if he can. So that doubt is rooted in a deep insecurity about their future. Um, and so they start to doubt. Where's God? Who is going to take care of us? Where is this child he's talked about? Why isn't he providing for our security? Or maybe he wants them to make their own security. Sarai starts to concoct this ridiculous plan. Um, there's that terrible phrase. Have anybody ever heard the phrase, uh, God helps those who help themselves? I rebuke it, tear it to pieces, get it out of here. Um, I remember I actually, I, I broke this one out first year uh, to my core group leader. I was like, I'm not ready to become a Christian. I got to get myself together a little bit more. There's some things I've got to get in order, some sins I got to kill, and then I'll be a Christian. Uh, you know, God helps those who help themselves. And she was like, that's like the opposite of the Bible. Like, actually, God helps the helpless. And you know what? You're right. You're not ready to become a Christian, but you're not ready to become a Christian, not because you have to get yourself together, but because you think you still can. <laughs> um, Abram and Sarai are trying to get their stuff together. And they're not realizing that they have completely abandoned their trust in the Lord. And naturally, there is fallout. When you abandon your trust in God's promises and that he is walking you on a path of righteousness and that when you obey him, things happen, that you are taken care of, that you have a hope in a future, your actions begin to look like the world and they begin to have consequences. Um, so uh, in some of your translations, it's going to say Sarai treated her harshly. Uh, in Hebrew, that word is actually used again in Exodus about the Egyptians when they oppressed the Israelite people. It is the gigantic turnaround. Abram and Sarai, these people of faith, are now the Egyptians oppressing who's actually an Egyptian girl. God's people are oppressing an Egyptian. They have become just like the world. When we abandon our faith and our trust in God, we begin to live out cultural truths. And how many of you know just because something's culturally acceptable doesn't mean it's right? We good with that? Like, go think about that after this. Like, what are some things that are culturally acceptable that aren't right? Because in that culture, if you didn't have a child, you know what? You made one of your servants have it, and then you just called it yours. And when that child grew up, they would grow up with you as their mother or their father, and they would provide for you. And so what they're doing is they're literally trying to gain their security at the expense of hers. They're saying, your son will be my son. You can, you're going to be a wet nurse, but the moment he's weaned, he's mine. And he's going to call me mom. And he's going to provide for me in my old age. Like, that's what's happened, is they've literally sacrificed her security for their own. They're using her to just try to seize some sense of security. And it creates all this relational difficulty. Hagar begins to despise this woman she had probably respected before that, and why not, right? Sarai ends up getting mad at Abram for something she told him to do. And then Abram, who's supposed to be like leading this household, abandons his responsibility and is like, do whatever you want with her. Relationships break when we abandon our trust in God. And what happens? In the midst of all this pain, in the midst of this betrayal, she flees. Right? Can you have that picture in your mind? This young, pregnant, mistreated girl fleeing into the desert. And you know what she's expecting? She's not expecting release. She's expecting death. Because again, in this cultural, there's no train back to Egypt. There is no one to protect you when marauders come along and you're a young pregnant girl. There is no one to provide you food. She is going into the desert, which is almost certain death. And I think the worst part of it all is the people she should have trusted the most were the ones that put her there. The people who were supposed to lead and provide for this community that had gathered around them are the ones who betrayed her. And isn't that so true of many of us that the deepest pain in our life doesn't come from strangers but comes from the people who are supposed to love and lead us? Parents, spouses, pastors. 
Or maybe for some of you, when you think about the desert, when you think about your own deserts and what emotionally it's like to be there, maybe it's not about the people who hurt you. Maybe it's just about your situation. There are women in this room who are dealing with infertility right now. There are men in this room who are working, trying to pay for rent, unsure if they can come back to UVA because of their finances, wondering if they're ever going to be able to provide for a family or if this is just their lot in life. There are people in this room struggling with mental illness who feel like they just can't escape this cycle of depression or anxiety or these heavy things, and they just, no matter what happens, they feel like they can't escape the prison of their mind, and all they see is pain, and all they want to do is run. There are many things that push us into the desert, because that's what it is, right? Like, sometimes the pain just gets so big that we run. We run from our faith sometimes, or we run from people, like those people who when you walk in the door and they're like, where you been? You're like, you're getting out of there. You're like, I can't do this anymore. So you run from the people who actually know you and love you sometimes. And then sometimes there are people who just feel like they want to run from life itself. They just don't feel like there's anything for them in the future. Hagar feels like she has nothing to hold on to. No people, no system, no provision, and the best thing for her is desert. And that is the snapshot that should transform our hearts. That is the snapshot that we should be so heavily moved by, this empathy of how could God's people do this? How could this woman be in this situation? She needs help. She needs someone to save her. She needs someone to provide. She needs safety. And of course, this is where God shows up, right? The God who meets desperate people in the desert. We're going to read again, starting in verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. Can I pause right here? If you're like a wild donkey of a man, what the heck? Uh, Yeah, in our culture, that's like a bad thing. Like, there's another name for donkey, and you don't want to call someone's son that. Um, In this culture, a donkey is actually a pretty valued animal. It's like rugged. It can survive. So this is more like telling Hagar her her son is going to be like a rugged individual who can survive in the desert on his own, and he doesn't need other people. He's not going to be a servant. He's going to be strong. Um, So that's a little what we're talking about when we're talking donkey, just to help you out. Did that help? You were like, this is not a blessing. It's a blessing, I promise. Um, He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. So Hagar is desperate. She has run into the desert. She has no system to help her, no people to help her. And an angel of the Lord shows up, the angel of the Lord. And you, like, I I want you to understand how radical this is. Like, Hagar has fled from Abram and Sarai, these people who have received God's promise of a son who will have many descendants and be a great nation. And God actually says to Abram, like, look at, the, look at the stars in the sky. If you can count them, like your descendants will be more than these. That is Abram's promise. Abram gets a promise from God, but so does Hagar. You will have a son. Abraham's going to have a son. Hagar's going to have a son. Abraham is going to have a legacy that descends from that son. Hagar is going to have a legacy that descends from this son. You guys, this doesn't make sense in the ancient context. The master and the servant aren't supposed to get the same thing. They're not supposed to get the same promise. 
And yet God is looking at her and he's calling her by name. And he's saying, guess what? Abram gets a son, you get a son. And he's going to bear a great nation. I have promises for you. And again, remember, a son wasn't just a son. This was a promise of security. You're going to be taken care of. You're going to have people to look after you. And not just that, you're going to have a legacy. This is wild. And some of you look around you. I, I, just, I know this is true in our community. You look around and you see people and you're like, yeah, they're going to get God's promises. I can see it for them. I'm, I see the spouse for them. I see the kids, the 2.5 they'll have. I see the job that they're going to love. They're going to serve in their church. They're going to lead a small group. Like, I just see the fruit. I see the blessings in their life. They just, like, they glow with a joy, and you, like, really want to honor it, but you also kind of envy it, right? You're like, those people, I see why they're getting the promises of God, and I just can't see it for myself. Like, you look into your future, and all you see is blank desert. And you don't, you don't want to be mad about that. You don't want to like steal their blessing from them. But you just like, honestly, when you look at your future, you're like, I don't believe that I'm going to get those promises. I don't believe that God's promises for them are the same promises God is giving me. Like, have any of you ever been there? I have been there. I have been there. First year, Sarah, especially fall retreat. What a time. Um, where I just looked at people and I was like, I get it. And honestly, I think they deserve it. Like, like bless them, God, but I don't believe that you have blessings for me. You know, some of us are the Abrams and some of us are the Hagars. And sometimes I felt like a Hagar. I felt unseen, I felt hurt, I felt misunderstood, I felt used. And then God comes and meets with you. And he says, what are you talking about? I've got security for you. I've got a future for you. I've got a legacy for you. The same promises I have for them, I have for you. I want to give you beautiful things. Will you trust me? Get out of this desert. John 10.10, Jesus is speaking. And he says, I have come that they may have life, life to the full. Can I tell you, every single one of you here, that God's promise for you is life to the full? There's not a single person in here where that is not God's promise to you. There is not a hierarchy in this kingdom. There is not a some get like the jackpot of blessings and some don't. Like God has life to the full for you. He has a promise. And it is just as bright as anybody's in this room. And I think what's incredible about this is, so Hagar is here in this desert, right? And this, the angel of the Lord is speaking to her and he's offering these promises. And she has a moment where she can either say, I don't believe you. Or she can say, I don't want to serve the same God that blesses Sarai as blesses me. Or she could say, like, I'm too broken. I'm too far gone. Why are you talking to an Egyptian? Why are you talking to a single mother? She could say these things, and yet something spectacular happens. It goes on in verse 13. This is something that doesn't happen anywhere else in the Bible. Like, you guys, this story is so, like, unmined. There's so much here to mind to, like, get out of this, and we just, like, skip over it so often. Verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And that is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. You guys, Hagar gives God a name. Everywhere else, God reveals who he is. He, he gives himself names. He helps people to understand. This is the only time in the Bible that anyone has ever given God a name. And God receives it. And I think there's something really beautiful in this because what is happening is that, like, what, like, God sees everyone, right? If you read scripture, if you have not read scripture, please go read some scripture. The evidence is going to be that God sees everyone. God cares for everyone. His heart is for the lost. His heart is for the hurting. His heart is for the slave. His heart is for the downtrodden. His heart is for, gosh, anyone who looks at their future and can't see good things. His heart is for them. It's not surprising that God sees her. What's surprising is that she sees him seeing her. 
Like, how many times do we sit at MNL and Pete preaches this amazing sermon about the promises of God and it's just so hard to say, I believe it's for me. Or you hear about God's grace and you think, I'm too much of a sinner. Or you hear about God's provision and you say, that doesn't happen for someone like me. Like, it, it just happens, right? Our heart struggles to, to see God for who he truly is. Someone tells us the scripture, we see it, but we just can't absorb it. And what is spectacular here is that Hagar sees him seeing her. This is the God who sees me, the servant, the foreigner. And I think something, I think the reason that I really like this passage and why I think it's so valuable and something that we need to look at more, we need to look at these problematic passages, is because Hagar represents pretty much any category of person you could try to talk about who is unseen. She is the refugee. She is the foreigner. She is the the overworked maid who goes unseen. She is the single mother. She is the, like, cast-out wife. She is the abused. She is the sexually exploited. She is the one who is a different race and different culture and different, like, she's a woman. <laughs> like, in this culture, you don't have much if you're a woman. Like, she, she represents so many people who go unseen. And when we look at Hagar, we can see ourselves. Or we can see those burdens that are on our heart. We see her. And what's beautiful is that those people, we want them to see God looking at them. Or those of you who feel like a Hagar, I want you to believe that God sees you. And what we need to do as Christians is believe and teach and go and, and help people to know that God sees them. And his promises are not just for these people who we categorize as God's people. His promises are for you. The single mother. The refugee. The woman downtown who pushes bread and water in a shopping cart because that's all she has. That is Hagar. And God sees her. I think, I don't know, I just, I hope you guys feel my heart in this. Like, it is so easy for us to overlook all those people. And that's, again, why photojournalism is so powerful, because it makes us reckon with something that we don't have to face in our daily life. And there are people in our community who are suffering who we just don't see. Who it's too difficult to look, or it's too troublesome, or it takes too much time. And God wants us to see. Not just to read and be like, oh yeah, God has promises for them too. He wants our hearts to be moved. He wants our hearts to be broken. Like, it's so infuriating to read this because you're like, Abram, Sarai, how could you not see what you're doing to this young woman? How can you not see her? And so the picture of Genesis 16 is that person who is unseen by the world, by the culture, who has no aid, is unseen even by the Christians around her, the people who are supposed to know God, that person who is so unseen. And if you can imagine just that person in the desert, and the picture is Christ wiping away their tears and lifting their face. And some of you are like, Christ, where does Christ come into this? I thought it was an angel of the Lord. Fun fact. Okay gosh, there's so much interesting stuff in the Bible. Okay, this is the first time we ever see the angel of the Lord referenced in the Bible. Uh, it's going to come up several more times. Uh, so not an angel of the Lord, the angel of, yeah, the, the angel of the Lord. Uh, so biblical scholars uh, generally, uh, so they've noted some interesting things. Often the angel of the Lord at times will speak as if they are speaking for the Father, and at times they speak as if they were God. 
Or at times, the angel of the Lord is called the angel of the Lord, but then in the same passage, they'll be like, the angel of the Lord was in the bush that was burning in Exodus, and then they're like, God was in the bush that was burning in Exodus, and you're like, is it the angel or is it God? Guess what? It's both. Um, The angel is not the father, right? The scriptures say that no one has ever seen the father except the son. Who is the revealed God? Christ. Christ is the one who took on flesh. Christ is the one, God who took on flesh, who we see in the world. This is what's called a Christophany. Christo, Christ. Uh, So generally, scholars believe that this is Christ, that Christ showed up in the Old Testament multiple times, and that this is the very first one. And so I want you, like those of you who are Christians and grew up in Christian homes, I know there's a lot of you, like, like this should be important to you. Christ showed up back in Genesis 16. Like, and it's just kind of wild. Like, God is making promises to Abram that his people are going to be a blessing to all people because Christ is going to come from them, right? So, like, Abram is getting the promise, but Hagar is getting Christ. Like, that should be powerful for you. Like, Abram is God's man. I get it. He's a man of faith. Like, God is using him. God is... God is making promises through him. Can I say God is not pleased with him? God can be faithful and work promises in your life even when he's not pleased with you. But like the reason that Christ is coming through Abraham is to offer hope to all the people who will ever be that are like Hagar. People who need relief, people who need hope, people who need a world that is put back into perfect shalom. And the reason we know God's heart is for those people is because he's not just putting the promise of Christ in the future, Christ is showing his face to that woman right now. Hagar, he knows her name. Like, this is just absolutely wild. The first time anyone meets and sees the face of Christ, and it's an enslaved woman from Egypt who's lost in the desert because she's been hurt and abused. Christ's heart is so beautiful, you guys. Like, just so powerfully different than anybody else in the world. Even the people of God, they flip things up and they end up looking like Egypt. They end up looking like their culture. They end up looking like their world because they doubt God's promises and they try to seize them for themselves. But God is faithful even when we are faithless and he is reaching out to people and he is trying to heal their hearts. There are some people in this room who are Hagar right now and I want you to know God sees you and God wants to meet with you. He wants you to see him seeing you tonight. Um, worship team, you can come up. Um, I, want us, I want us to close with this. Again, tonight is not about points. It's not about... I, I want you to walk away less with instruction and more with a moved heart. I want you to see this passage in a new way where like when you come across it in the future, it's like stumbling across one of these photos again and your heart just wakes up again. There are two types of people in this room. If I can speak to you guys. Um, There are Hagar's in this room. Men, women. It is those of you who feel unseen like you have nothing to hold on to, like you have no future, like you can't escape the cycle of this world, and I want you to know you matter. When it's out there looking like God's people have their promises, they have what they need, and you just feel unseen, and you feel stuck, and you feel lost in the desert, Christ is coming to meet with you. He has his promises for them, but he wants to be with you right now. And if you think your story won't matter in the grand scheme of things, you're wrong. God has a future for you. He has a legacy for you. So for those of you who have never made a decision to follow Jesus, I want you to try to, I want you to ask him for an encounter with him tonight. I want you to ask that he would speak to you, that he would show you himself. If you have never felt seen in this world, I believe that God wants to show you that he sees you. And then some of you, Some of you have been driven into the desert. Can I say, some of you are in here and you've been hurt by the church. Maybe you follow Christ, but honestly, it was hard for you to be in this room tonight. Maybe you were hurt by the church. Maybe you were hurt by this fellowship. I want you to note what God tells Hagar. He tells her to go back. 
That's one of those parts that we just like don't get at first. We're like, what do you mean to go back? But God's heart is never for a more divided people. God's heart is for a reconciled people. That those who hurt one another would be able to see one another and repent and be, be made family again. God's heart is for reconciled households, not divided ones. And so for those of you who have been hurt by the church, can I just say, stick it out. Don't run. Yes, people are broken and they will fail you, but Christ will never fail you and he is healing our community and he is healing his church. Will you stay because he told you to and his promises are good? I hope that you guys can receive that tonight. Um, And then this next group of people, it's a little harder because honestly, we would all really like to identify with Hagar on this because we always want to identify with those who aren't doing anything wrong. But the reality is in a room this size with so many people who follow Jesus, maybe we had our Hagar seasons, but it's likely that more of us are Abrams and Sarai's. Like, let me tell you, it is tough to have my namesake in the Bible be Sarah sometimes, but the reality is I am her sometimes. And it hurts to reckon with, but it's really easy to look at the promises that haven't been answered for us and just feel like we want to pour our attention to that and point at those things and say, God hasn't answered my promise yet. Like, what's happening here? But the reality is God's promises are all around us. We have so much fruit in our life. And actually, he's just called us to patience. And we hate being patient. And what happens is that in the sake of name of security or in the name of comfort or the name of desire, we abandon our faith and we start to claim ways of the world to make those promises happen for ourselves. And there is always wreckage. There is always fallout when we try to build our own security at the expense of others, our own comfort at the expense of others. It happens globally, sure, right? I'm sure we could all think about how we build our own little kingdoms and don't look at those that are crumbling, don't look at the people who are unserved. But I want to give you some examples of what it looks like in this community. Those of us who have to reckon with the fact that we are Abrams and we are Sarai's. Um, It looks like not sharing the gospel with someone you love because it would cause discomfort or make your life a little awkward. Maybe it would hurt your reputation and you are withholding the greatest comfort and the greatest treasure from them for some comfort, for some ease. I've done this one so many times. I've had to repent. Uh, It looks like me, second year, only going to house prayer when I had a need because otherwise I wanted to be somewhere else. I wanted to do my own thing, and I never thought about the fact that my housemates had needs, and maybe I showed up not for me, but for them sometimes. And this one, this one's tough, but I kind of want to say it because I, I think it's really important. I think there is nothing more divisive and destructive in our community than when those of us who love God sit in living rooms and talk about people that we think aren't doing it right. People, maybe houses, maybe fellowships, maybe different churches. And as we talk about how they're doing it wrong, all we're doing is making ourselves more self-righteous. We're trying to make it so that we don't have to care as much about our own sin and deal with that. Anytime that there is someone in our community or someone around us who we feel like isn't doing it right, our question shouldn't be like, how dare they? Our question should be, how do I love them better? Our question should be, how do I honor them more? Our question should be, how do I win them for the gospel? And can I tell you, it's not with hatred, it's not with gossip, and it's not with judgment. Let's be people who see others, who see that they have unique needs, who see that they have unique hurts. Again, the reality is a lot of us in this room right now, we'd love to call ourselves Hagar's, but right now we're actually Abram's. We're actually Sarai's. And so as we close, I think we need to meet with God. We don't need the points. We don't need the words. We need an experience with the living God to hear what he has for us, to hear the promises for those of us who feel unseen, to be healed from our pride and to be healed from our worldly ways when we're supposed to be the ones who know God. Whatever camp you are, I just want you to meet with God tonight. And I think when we meet with him, 
our hearts are transformed, whether because we see the God who sees us and we realize that we are known and loved or because God says, I want you to see someone else. You have not seen. Don't be like Abram. Don't be like Sarai. Don't lean into your Christian moralism. Be like Christ. Be the one in the desert who wipes tears and calls to hope and calls to a future and is willing to sacrifice to make that happen. A Christ who went to a cross and died so that we could have life we didn't deserve. Um, and again, just one more time, Hagar, I love that she called his name. She said, El Roy, you are the God who sees me. When we meet with God, we should respond. Uh, we're doing something a little unique tonight. Um, as we close, this uh, is actually a song that came from our community. Um, so, my disciple, Melissa. Um, and the other day we were meeting and we were chatting and she shared that the Lord had placed a song in her heart that she'd written and she played it for me. And guess what? It was out of Genesis 16 and she had no idea I was preaching on this. And I was like, okay, God, okay, that's beautiful. Um, God wants to move in our communities. He wants when we see him for us to, to express it in joy, in worship, in, in desire, whether that is desire to, to recognize that he sees us or desire to be healed from our brokenness. And so... Obviously, you don't know the words. <laughs> We're going to have the words on the screen. You are welcome to participate if you want. But I, don't, I want you to let it be sung over you. And what I really want is for you to talk to Jesus. I want you to have a moment with God. And if you're not a Christian, can I just say try it? Just go to a space. Maybe you can imagine. I want you to imagine yourself in a place that represents your heart. And maybe it looks like a desert. Or maybe with your, if you're honest with yourself, you're surrounded by blessings. And it's easy to look at the one thing that's lacking, but around you is just a garden of beauty. And so whether you're in a desert right now or you're in a garden right now, Jesus is going to enter that, and I think he has something to say to you. And I can't preach it. I can't teach it. I can't tell you what he's going to say. But he is the God who sees you and loves you and knows you and has a voice. He's the God who hears, the God who sees. And I believe he'll do something tonight. Does that sound good? God, I ask for a blessing over this room. God, I ask for your Holy Spirit to move in this place to give people truth. And Lord, I pray that even as we enter our imaginations, even as we enter maybe a different space, a space less of words and a space more of just your presence and seeing you, God, I pray that... Um, your Holy Spirit would secure it. Lord, you are the God who gives good gifts to your children. When they ask for fish, you don't give them snakes. When, you ask, when we ask for bread, you don't give us stones. So Lord, we're asking for an actual experience with you. So we don't have to be worried about deceit. We don't have to be worried about deception. God, you give good gifts and we are asking to meet with you tonight. And so I pray you would meet with every individual here, God that you would show them that your great and precious promises are for them, that you see them, and that you are calling them to see the others in this room. God, would you transform us by this picture of being met by you? Would we be moved, and would our lives be changed because of what you've shown us here tonight? We offer this space to you. Amen. God, we thank you that you are who you say you are that you are a God of love, that you are a God who, who provides, that you are a God who desires this world to be in perfect shalom. You made it in a way where we were supposed to love one another and serve one another and see one another. But Lord, we confess we've fallen short of this, that we have looked at our own needs above the needs of others. Lord, that there have been times that we have used people for our own good, there have been times where, where we, God, we, we weren't like you. We fell short. But God, we recognize that this is the truth, that we do not have it within ourselves to live as you have lived. We need help. God, give us your spirit. Help us to be people who live differently at this university, people who live differently in our communities and our families. God, teach us to be people who see others, Lord, who are the lifter of heads, who are the, the wiper of tears, who are the ones who give a hope and a future, God, because you have given us one. 
And Lord, for anyone in this room tonight who walked in with burdens, who walked in unknowing if if they had a future, who walked in feeling like they had nothing to hold on to, God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. And that not just would you see them, but God, you would call to them in a way where they can see you. God, we pray that over our community. We pray that over the brokenhearted at our university. We pray that over those who are struggling in Charlottesville, in our nation, God, around the world. God, we just pray for experiences with the living God. Teach us to be little Christs like you. Teach us to be people who don't need a photograph to have empathy, Lord, but who can just see those around us know that they are made in your image and they matter. Thank you that you are that sort of God and that you have seen us and loved us, been faithful when we were faithless and that your promises are true no matter what, God. You are so good. Oh, Roy, the one who sees me. Thank you, God. We give this time to you and say change us by your Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen. I hope we live differently at UVA. I hope how we love people is different. And I hope that you walk out feeling more loved tonight and more seen. So go love each other. Go ask about each other's lives. Go pray for each other. Go be a community. Um, And I think that would be a really good thing. Yeah? All right. Well, uh, you can stand and I'll pronounce the benediction, I guess. We do this because... um, it helps us to walk out with that reminder that this is all about Christ and what he's doing, right? So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Go love. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.